Have you guys ever had friends that struggle with any type of sin? Have you ever had have you ever had experiences where you struggle with some sort of sin? Let's let's choose the sin of disobedience, for example. How many of you have struggled with disobedience or have friends that struggle with disobedience? Don't raise your hand. Rhetorical question. Scenario. What if one day you're with your friends and you're together and you're at a, you're at a parent, your, your friend's house and all of a sudden you all want to watch a movie? The movie that you guys want to watch is PG-13. Five of you are there. Four of you are allowed to watch that movie. One of you isn't. So happens to be that that one that isn't is the one who struggles with disobeying their parents. So you as friends have, don't, don't write anything down yet because, yeah. You as friends have an opportunity to do two things. You can encourage your friend, or you can cause him to sin. What does that look like? Scenario one, encouraging. Hey, don't worry about it. The Bible says that we're supposed to honor our mother and father, and even though they're not here, God is always looking. Let's switch the movie. We'll find something that we can all watch. You die to your own desires. You die to your own pleasures. You die to your own kingdom. And that is scenario one. Scenario two Bro, you're 14 years old. It's PG-13. Nothing's going to happen. Seriously, like I watched the movie a couple, there's nothing wrong with it. There's no sexual scene there. There's no profanity there. You're okay. You can watch it. And guess what? The friend ends up watching, ends up watching the movie with you guys. Now, how do you think the Lord feels with the second option? feels pretty, pretty upset. And that's what we're going to learn about today. We're going to see how God views when others cause his children to stumble. Amen? Let's open our Bibles to chapter 18. And I'm going to start reading with last week's lesson. And then I'm going to go into today's verses that we're going to look at. Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set, them, uh, set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's where we left off last class, last lesson, last Wednesday. Today we continue. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the man through whom the stumbling block stumbling block comes. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. 
it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See, and I leave it there. That's God's word for today. So this was the outline from last lesson, just to go over real quick. We talked about the question that the disciples came and asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And we saw how that question revealed a lot of heart issues from the apostles. Then we looked at Jesus' answer to them saying, hey, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He took a child and said, those that humble themselves as this child are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Those that are looking to serve others instead of themselves are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Today we're going to go to the third point of the discussion. We go from the question of the disciples to the answer from Jesus. And now Jesus is going to give them the admonition, the warning of why this is important. And that's going to be verses 5 through 9. And that was the theme of last Wednesday. Let's move on. We, were, we talked about the question, the answer, and today. In this admonition we have... Christ's command and Christ's warning. We have his command and we have his warning. And the theme to have this in your mind as we study God's word today is the following. As believers, we need to love others like Christ and not cause them to stumble. As believers, we need to love others like Christ and not cause them to stumble. So we saw that last week, Jesus answered the question, who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And the answer is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Caleb. Those who humble themselves like children, right? And what, and what does it humbling yourself like children mean? Not looking for status, not looking for, you know, the, the higher up you are in leadership, the more you are. Remember the disciples were looking spiritual kingdom, physical kingdom, if I can get a high position in power, and Jesus is like, you got it all wrong. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a kingdom of my citizen, the higher you go, the more you have to serve. And we had, he gave us the greatest example of all, which is Jesus Christ himself, right? He humbled himself to become man, to die on the cross on the hand, at the hands of sinners that he created, right? And he gave us the example of washing his disciples' feet and serving This humility to enter the kingdom of heaven. Who provides that? Who allows you to be humble? To enter the kingdom of heaven. Is that something that you can do on your own? Because you're so good and you're so great and you have the power to be humble? Or is it something that's God working? Amen. It's something that God can do. Right? It's only his work that can allow us to do it. So why even say, why even bother saying, those who enter the kingdom of heaven have to be humble? Well, we're going to look at this later on, but I want you to know it is a, a blessing to see if this characterizes your life. I was talking my word the whole week. If it characterizes your life, then guess what? It means that you are a believer. But if it's far away from your life, 
then that's when we check ourselves to see if we are in the faith, to see if this is real. So it's a, it's a gift from God to allow us to see if we are being humble. So let's, let's begin with the admonition, the command, verse 5. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. The Greek for whoever receives means to willingly permit, to access to one's company, to accept, to welcome. So whoever welcomes, receives one such child in my name receives me. The child, is it, a, is it a literal child that Jesus is talking about here? Is it the one that he has on his lap that he's using his object lesson with? Do you think that's what it is? No, it's not. It's not a literal child. It's a believer. The whole context that we're going to learn about today, and I want you to have that in your mind to not get distracted, we're talking about believers here. Christians. Those who call themselves followers of Christ. And whoever receives such Christians, whoever receives such believers, in my name receives me. What does in my name mean? It means that when you accept a believer, it's like what? You're accepting who? Christ. You're accepting Christ himself. If you accept a believer, you are accepting Christ himself. What's the flip point on that? If you mistreat a believer, you are also mistreating Christ. Think about that for a second. How many times do we say, love your neighbors more than yourself? How many times do we pray for your siblings and your, how you fight with them and how you are selfish and you don't want to you know, serve God's kingdom, you want to serve your own? How many times do we go through that all the time? That's your daily struggle. Do you know that when you don't love your siblings, it's like not loving Jesus. It's like mistreating Jesus. That should, that should be heavy on our minds. We love God. We say we love Him. We follow His commandments. One of His commandments is love your neighbor more than yourself. Let me ask you a question. How would you treat Christ if you saw him at church? How would you how would you treat him? Lane. With high esteem, right? Like Jesus comes to North Lake on on Sunday. How would that what would that look like? What a blessing. What if he came to your house? How would you treat him? just cook something up? Would you just, you know, frozen frozen pizza there? Like literally, like how would you treat him? With dignity, with respect, you would want to cook your best meal, you would want to be the best host. That's exactly how we're supposed to treat each other when we go to each other's house, especially believers. Because if, if we do it, we're doing it as it was for Christ. And I'm blessed to, to be here in Northwood Bible Church because a lot of the families here really exemplify this. You go to their house and they treat you with so much love. But that's what we need to do. Whoever receives one of these child in my it receives them in my name receives me. A commentator writes, Jesus' two disciples, they are not welcome because they are great or wise or mighty, but because they come in Jesus' name, because they belong to him. That's why they're welcome. 
Now let me ask you a question. What does receiving entail? What does that look like? I gave you some examples, right? But what does that look like in practicality to receive one child in my name? To receive a believer in my name? What does that look like? Well, let's all turn our Bibles to Matthew, Matthew 25. Verse 31. 25-31. Follow along. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, and He will sit on His glorious throne... All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So we know that there's some sort of separation here, and all the nations of the world are before Jesus. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and invite you in, or naked, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. That's the flip side. The other side. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into, into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That is what it means to receive a little one in my name. Let's evaluate ourselves. How are we doing in that aspect? Oh, but I can't really invite people over to my house. Because my parents, you know, well, you can tell your parents, hey, I saw this new family in the church, and they have kids that are our age. Hey, maybe one day you can invite them over to the house. You can do that. What else does that look like? Maybe here in church, here in youth group, when new people come, to move out of your comfort zone and not sit with your friends, but embrace them and have them come and sit with you. That's practical. That's loving. That's showing the love of Christ to those, right? How are we doing? Are we 
Do we have that mindset? Do we have that kingdom mentality of wanting to serve God all the time? And when, when Dusty's preaching the gospel in church, do you pray? Lord, I pray that as the pastor is being preached that those who are dead in their trespasses can be, their eyes can be opened, they can call upon your name to be saved. I pray you do. Right? Verse 6, but, who causes, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. But whoever causes. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus referring here to the Pharisees or anyone? He says, anyone. How do you come to that conclusion? That it's anyone and not just the Pharisees. Fox? Yeah, and who is this Who is this conversation with, though? Who is he having this conversation with? His disciples. The Pharisees not, are not there. So he's talking to his disciples, right? He's talking to anyone. He's talking to us. As we read this word, to the church that read it at that time. Whoever. causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. The Greek for believe is to whoever to have faith to put one's trust in something. Little ones again refers to what? Children or believers? Believers. That's who he's referring to again. Believers. To stumble. We know what stumble means. To cause a sin. Whoever causes one of my believers, one of my children, one of my sons or daughters who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck. The Greek for better here means profitable. It will be more profitable. It will be more profitable. What does that mean? It's better for what? For you to have a millstone hung around your neck. What does a millstone mean? Anybody? What's a millstone? I have a picture. I'm gonna be, I'll get it later. Yes, George. Yes, yes, that's what it is. It's heavy. Extremely heavy. There you go. That's what it looks like. Millstone. And the Greek for millstone is one of a pair of stones used for grinding grain, usually a very large and heavy. So heavy that it had to be usually moved by a donkey, right? So, around his neck. And what happens after that? And be drowned in the depths of the sea. The Greek word for drowning means to die from submerged in water, getting water in lungs. Can't breathe. The depths of the sea means the deepest part of the sea where the, the, the boat can go the furthest into the deep sea. That's where this person is going to be dropped with this huge millstone around his neck. Now, this was an actual punishment. And it was practiced by in Syria and in Greece. And to take to get this form of punishment, basically it was he's killing, killing like a close relative, like a parent. 
Scythian, the Syrians, or the Greeks would do this as punishment. They would take your food, beat, beat you, cast you, and throw the whip. A commentator writes, Jesus' condemnation of the person causing the sin is weightier than that of the stumbling sinner. For he will pursue the latter, because we're going to look at the 99 sheep, the one that's lost later on. But guess what? But Jesus predicted destruction for the former, the one who makes the one sin, who not only commits his own sin, but also endangered the souls of others. Let me ask you a question. Could this person then tied up, and maybe with, a, I guess, a smaller rock, thrown into an eight-feet lake, and, and could that person have drowned there? Pretty much, right? Why this scenario of this heavy stone and in the deep blue part of the sea? What? Okay. What else? Sex? Okay. I guess I guess what what the Lord is trying to say is He's magnifying the intensity, the immensity of, look, it's, it's better for you to get this heavy stone, to go to this deep, deep, deep blue ocean than to stand before God in His wrath. That's what the, that's what Matthew, and that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to, what's telling the church at this moment. This is a big deal for God. It's not just something that is not to be taken lightly. Causing His children to stumble means a lot. God. He does not like it. He does not like it. The causing to stumble can include the sin that is clearly defined in Scripture, but it also can include when you make others sin against their conscience. What does that mean? Well, in the Bible, there's clear cut, black and white, Things that are wrong, things that are sin, things that are good, things that are not sin. We're not arguing about those things. An issue of conscience is, it's not clearly stated in the Bible. You have to use wisdom the best way you can to make a decision on what it's, how you're gonna, which way you're going to go. As we've talked about issues of conscience many times in youth, Dusty has done a great job talking from the pulpit. Some examples of issues of conscience whether Christians should be listening to secular music or not, whether Christians should be drinking or not, tattoos or not, piercings or not, uh, homeschool versus public school. All these issues where it's not clearly defined in the Word, yet you find yourself choosing one or the other. Okay? What happens here? Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Follow along here, guys. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in the great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their... Chapter 8, verse 1. Glory to God. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, 
We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. And this is going to make sense in a second. Follow, 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 follow along. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, meaning like a lot of people have these gods, a lot of people have these lords that they call gods and lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things are, for, for, from whom all things and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So Paul's saying, look, I know a lot of you used to sacrifice to idols, and you used to have these idols in your life. We all know that they don't exist. We all know that there's only one God, and it's Christ. However, not all men have this knowledge. But some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, but their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care of that this liberty of yours did not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, and the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so I will not cause my brother to stumble. What is he saying here? And we talked about this before. A lot of the Jews grew up never eating pork, never eating bacon. That's not, that wasn't in their dietary customs. It's not what they do. So for them, it was hard to change that. For them, it was hard to even go into that idea. In this case, it was meat sacrificed to idols. They would never eat that. That was against their law. Christ comes and he delivers them from that law. You're free. There's nothing unclean. Okay? You're able to eat if you like. But because the Jew grew up that way, it was ingrained in his mind. He just can't do it. He just won't do it. So Paul is saying... Hey, the Gentile that was converted to Christianity, he's like, hey, I know the true God now. I just wasted all this money my whole life sacrificing to these idols. I'm going to start eating this meat. Paul's saying, yes, you have the liberty to eat that meat, but use your liberty for what? Love. To not cause the other to stumble. Because you have authority in the church. People see you, right, for example, and they see you doing that, and they're like, well, if he does it, then I can do it too. And then when they think like that, and all of a sudden they still have this struggle, and they eventually eat and feel guilty about it, <laughs> instead of using your liberty as, you know what, I'm going to be, like Paul says, a vegetarian. That's hard for a brother. You're going to die to your desires to your freedom to do it, but you're going to die to it because you love your brother more than yourself. You're going to use the liberty that God has given you to love your brother more than yourself, to not cause your brother to sin. Any questions on that? 
I'm going to give you more practical advice for obedience. Now, what does this illustration tell us about Christ? The illustration is, one receives such child receives me. What is it saying? What does it say about Christ? What does it say about the Father? Remember in the beginning? Imagine you were the parents of that one child that saw the movie that you told him not to watch. How would you feel with the other four friends that influenced him to make that decision as a parent? How would you have felt? Angry? Yes? Because you want to, you protect your children. That's one of the things that we do as parents. We, as parents, want to protect you. To the most we can, we want to protect you. We want to raise you. However, the Lord tells us to raise you, whatever we think is right based on the Word of God to raise you, for someone else to come and try to change what we taught through the Word. Same thing with God. He doesn't like others causing His children to stumble. God is a loving God, and He loves like a father. Isn't that amazing that the Creator of the universe who sustains everything, who has the authority to do whatever he wants. We approach him as God, but we can also approach him as Abba, Father. And that he loves us. Not only did he die for us on the cross, he allows us to call him Father. He allows us to have a relationship, a personal relationship with him. That's amazing. That's a big blessing if you guys don't realize that. The fact when you sing these songs to God, when we're here reading His Word, it's a privilege and an honor. The God of the universe, He's so powerful. We're so nothing. And He, and he sent His Son to die for us. Not for what you did or didn't do, for His glory. Because He is God. And He is love. Amen. Isn't that a great attribute to know that God loves us as a father and protects us like his children? MacArthur writes, It is amazing how reluctant we are to expose our physical children to evil and how eager we are to protect them. But frequently, we are not as eager to protect all other children in the Lord's family. That's pretty tough, I think. What that means is, like, as parents, we, we're really into, like, protecting our own. But when it comes to the brethren of the church, and God is telling us, it, it should matter to you. Just like you protect your children, and just like you love them in that way, you should also be protecting of the other brethren and sisters in Christ. To not make them stumble, to not have them sin. This takes us to the next point today's lesson, the warning, verse 7, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the man through whom the stumbling blocks come, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, the Greek for woe here is like a grief of denunciation, like wake up, this is bad, very, very bad. 
Woe to the world. And the world here, the Greek here means for the people who make up the world and the, who make up the belief system of this world. Stumbling blocks, again, anything that causes the, somebody to sin. So the world itself has created things that make it easier for people to what? To stumble. Especially when it comes to things that entice our flesh. And guess what? It's inevitable. It's not going anywhere. They're here. The stumbling blocks are here. The Greek for inevitable is quality of being unavoidable. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 19 says, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together, nor for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evidence among you. What does that mean? It means that God allows factions, God allows these stumbling blocks to happen. Why? So that you, as a Christian, know what is right from wrong. So you can discern if you are or not in the faith. God allows false teachers. Why? So you can discern what is a false teacher and what is a correct teacher that teaches and preaches the word of God. Because if we only had good teachers, how would we know what a false teacher looks like? But woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. The, the, the Greek word for through here is on the account of. So, but woe to the man who brings this stumbling block, who causes the believer to stumble. Woe to him. He's saying, look, they're not inevitable, but he's also saying, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Why? We're going to look at the why in a second. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal hell. If your, verse 9, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and, to ca and be cast into the fiery hell. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. What do you guys, is it, is it literal? Is Jesus calling for us to do this literally? No, he's not. And, and believe it or not, some people take, take this out of context. And believe that by cutting themselves, by mutilating themselves, they will get holier or they will be able to like pay for what they did before God. So you guys laugh, but a lot of history in our, in our, in our world, a lot of people have done this and taken this verse out of context. So no, it's not literal. Yes. Yeah, that's one of the things that the prophets of Baal, that's what we're doing to try to wake them up and try to highlight what. Um, you remember we saw this in Matthew 5.29? The same terminology of cutting and plucking out eyes. But in Matthew 5.29, remember, it was a, a warning towards your personal life. If your hand, feet cause you to sin on a personal level, cut it off. And that means radical change. Whatever radical change you need to do, you better do it. To stop. 
I don't know how many of you, for example, let's say you have a trouble with, I don't know, comparing yourself with others and, and coveting and looking at what others have that you don't. You know what's not good for you to do or not good for you to have? It's on social media, you know? Because that's going to, you scroll, scroll, you see how many other people's lives are so happy and how they're happy and how they have and all these things that they have or don't have. And then you're like, man, how come I don't have that? Man, I wish I had that body. I wish I had this. And that. So radical means if that causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it. No more social media for me. If you struggle with that. I'm not saying everyone struggles with that, but if you do, that's what it means. Radical decisions. Radical decisions. But here, Jesus is saying the same principle that I taught you on a personal level is the same principle I'm telling you to do when it comes to causing others to sin. If you have a propensity to cause others to sin, be radical and make change in your life quickly because you need to stop. You need to stop. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame. So the Greek for life is heaven. So it is better for you to enter heaven crippled or lame. Crippled is deformed. Lame is disabled in the feet, right? Then have two hands and two feet and be cast into eternal fire. Cast is thrown. Eternal fire is hell. It is better for you to die to the desires of making others and yourselves sin and entering the kingdom of heaven than following your own desires and being far from it. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. Another word for radical change, pluck, to deliver, rescue, to remove with force. These are not terms, these are not verbs that are telling you, well, I'd rather, you know, be okay with it. No, this is radical. Rescue. Like when you're going to rescue somebody, you don't be like, oh, stand right there. I'm going to rescue you. And somebody's drowning. No, you're like hands on in there trying to do whatever. You, you grab them from drowning and you take them out. That's the type of energy or force that you need to do when it comes to not being a medium to have others sin, to cause others to sin. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. Now, what this is not saying, how many of you thought, how many of you are thinking, well, does that mean that, is this works-based salvation? Does that mean that I have to do certain things to get into heaven? Anybody have that question right now? No? Not, none of you were thinking about it? Well, just in case you were. So, he does not imply that one evil act leads to damnation, but a lifestyle characterized by causing others to sin is incompatible with true discipleship, meaning you cannot be a true disciple of Christ and you cannot be a true believer, a Christian, if this is what characterizes you all the time, that you're just making others sin, making others sin, have temptation, and you're sinning all the time yourself with no repentance. It, you can't call yourself a true disciple of Christ if this is what characterizes your life. This is what Jesus is saying. Commentator writes, because these warnings were addressed to the community of believers, we might conclude that a believer can lose his salvation and be sent to hell. Indeed, the warning is intended to sober believers concerning the seriousness of stumbling, but the eternal punishment would only be carried out on a person who proves by his sin that he had never been a child of God. Does that make sense? 
Maybe the person doing these things has claimed to be a Christian, or maybe he was never a Christian in the first place, and that is why he did things. But if stumbling makes him, causing others to stumble. But if a true believer, if you are a true believer in Christ, if you did this, you would feel so guilty because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You would say, all right, Lord, I'm sorry, and I'm going to try to do better for next time. Instead of, well, whatever. I don't know. Okay, like when like your parents admonish you, and you're like, oh, God, whatever. No, no, that's not okay, whatever. You have to feel it. You have to know that, man, I, I, I dishonor God by doing this. Not, oh, I got caught. So how do we apply this? How do we make this practical to our Christian walk? All right. You guys ready? Put that, put your helmets on. All right. Put your protective gear because the Lord is, all these examples are going to hit hard. They hit me. They, they hit me hard. And I, and I pray that they can hit you hard as well and that you can be convicted through his word. There are four ways that the world could cause believers to stumble, or that you could cause believers to stumble. No, not yet, not yet. You don't have to do that right now. Yet. Number one, to cause others to sin against what is clearly written in Scripture is one way you cause believers to stumble. You, it's clearly written, and you, you know it's there, and you still tempt others to do it. To influence others to sin against their conscience. We're going to get into that. To cause believers to believe in false doctrine, like false teachers and false religions. Even though the context here is believers, I would encourage you that the way you act could also cause others, unbelievers, to sin and to not even hear the gospel because of your actions. So let's take the first one. To cause others to sin against what is clearly written in Scripture. It's simple. You know a person has a weakness, don't tempt them to fall into that sin. Let's say you guys actually have good, solid friendship here. And I'm not talking about a superficial friendship where it's like, what did you do today? I, I did this, I did that, or, or my, my brothers and sisters are... I'm not talking about like, oh, what movie you're going to watch, or just talk about... If you really have a, a true friendship with somebody... And say, hey, how, you're do, how are you doing with your walk in the Lord? How's your prayer life? Hey, how are you, how you doing reading the Word? What are you reading right now? That type of friendship. And within that type of friendship, you guys share with each other, yeah, you know what? Pray for me because I've been struggling with this sin or that sin. Right? I pray that that's what we need. That, that's what's happening here. And I pray that that's what we get to. With each other here. Because that's one of the purposes that we fellowship. A high school fellowship night is just to not have fun. Yeah, let's have fun with the youth. and Yeah, bring a friend or not. But it's not, this is not for outside other, others to come to Christ. Yeah, if you have a friend, it's good. We'll teach the gospel. This is for you to fellowship with each other. To have these meaningful conversations with each other. To take that opportunity to do so. I'm not saying that there's no room for sports or for fashion or for movies. I'm not saying that there's, what I'm saying is, not at the expense of biblical conversations and biblical encouragement. If you have a friend that struggles with coveting, what do you do? Don't talk to them about things that you don't have or things that you wish you had. Because guess what? You start talking about it, then they start talking about it, and it's like a, a pity fest. A coveting pity fest. Let's not do that. If you know they struggle, 
and you have something in that area that you want to, maybe that friend is not somebody to talk to because then it's not going to help you out either and you're just going to have them stumble and sin more in covenant. Your friend struggles with low self-esteem when they compare their, their selves, their bodies, their, their clothes to others. Steer away from conversations that can lead to that and start criticizing others by wishing. It's not like, oh yeah, look at, look at what she's wearing or look what he's wearing or look what it is. That's not something you're supposed to do knowing that this person has told you in the past, hey, I'm struggling with this. The last thing you got to do is talk about people and criticize people. That's the last thing you got to do. What about anger? If somebody struggles with anger, you know your friend tells you, hey, I struggle with anger. What do you do? Don't poke the bear. You all, you all have siblings. You know what makes them angry. But you know what the sad thing is? You like it. You like to see when they get angry. It gives you pleasure. You tell me that's not evil. Thank God we have a Savior. Thank God we have a Savior. Because it happens to all of us. What's the point of making your, your brothers or sisters angry, knowing that they're going to get angry, knowing that they're going to, you know, react a certain way? Because you like, you, you like them, you, you want to get a laugh out of it. You think it's funny. I've been there. If we love our neighbor, if we're going to receive something, are we going to do that? Will we do that? poke the bear. Can't poke the bear. Let's not make people angry on purpose. Somebody struggles with sexual morality. Let's talk about things that can, about sexual things. Even if it's playing around. You shouldn't. That shouldn't come from your mouth anyway. The second way you could cause others to stumble. You can influence others to sin against their conscience. Sin against their conscience. A commentator writes, passages such as Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians 8, which we read earlier, explain the specific ways believers can cause other believers to sin or violate their own consciousness. Certainly no one should influence a follower of Jesus to do something that is wrong. But Paul's teaching warns, but, but Paul's teaching Warn against using our freedom to cause a brother to do what would be wrong for him, even if it is permissible for us. There are a couple of ways you can make believers sin in this regard. Number one, trying to convince others to agree with your issue of conscience. Number two, judging someone's spiritual maturity with issues of conscience. Number three, making others feel bad because they don't believe the same way you do. Practical, practical application here. Rule of thumb. Rule of thumb. If you are not contemplating, if you're not even thinking about changing your mind, if you know that that doesn't fly in your parents' house, don't even talk about it with anybody else. Don't even ask. Don't do it. You know why? Because it's only going to end up in you defending your point, the other person defending your point, and guess what? Disunion. Something that I love about this church, something I love, love about Pastor Dusty, the elders, even Tom, when I got here, they leave issues of conscience to the families of the church. That's it. They don't pick one way or the other. They don't tell you nothing above 
They'll tell you what's in the Bible. They'll tell you their limits are within here. But if it's not here, they leave it up to the family for the sake of unity. How important is unity to God? It's very important. And we talked about it when we went over Philippians. Unity is important. So rule of thumb, if you're really, as adults, if you're really not in, interested in changing your point of view, don't even ask. If you are, if legit you are contemplating, hmm, this issue is coming. I want to see what other people think. Of. Then you ask. But if you're not, what's the point? There's no need. Don't try to convince other people on your standards. That's not your job. Your job is to love. Your job is to encourage. For those that have social media, who reads your comments, guys? The world. And who makes part of the world? Believers, right? In Christ. If you put things like, true Christians don't do this, or true Christians shouldn't do that, or true, true Christians shouldn't celebrate this, what happens when your fellow believer reads that and, and they do those things? And it's not a sin for them to do those things. Is that going to bring unity? Is that going to help them? Is that going to encourage them? No, it's going to look. At, it's it's going to make them look at you as like, oh, that person doesn't even. I don't even know why. And instead of gaining a brother in Christ, you're losing because you know where they stand on certain issues, and they're so vocal about it. I'm not saying to have an opinion, but not at the at the, at the expense of unity in the church and unity within the body. I told you this many times. When the presidential elections occur, like, I would love to put signs in my yard. I would. I would. But I know that I got believers in neighbors that are not believers. And I don't want them to, the way I vote, be a stumbling block for them not to hear the gospel presentation from me when I'm there. So I die to my liberty and do it. I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm not saying that I'm holy. I'm not saying that I'm better. But I won't. It's not at the expense of the gospel. Not at the expense of Christian relationships. So be wise with how you talk with others with what you post on social media. Because your, bro- your, your brothers and sisters in Christ are looking. Leave issues, of, leave issues of conscience aside. Now, if it's something like the Word of God, yeah, go ahead and post that because it's, there's no debating here. The Word of God is the Word of God. And post, and post galore and talk and talk galore about the things that are written in Scripture. Yes, go for it. But those that aren't, you know, leave it to the parents. Leave it to the family. Number three, check your intentions, your heart intentions, when we think about these things. Don't, when we tend to judge other, other people's spiritual, spiritual relationship with God and their spiritual maturity based on their issues of conscience. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to love. We're called to accept these children as our own. Third point, that people can fall into sin. Or stumble into sin uh, to cause believers into false doctrines, or to fall into do- false doctrines, or even unbelievers. Right? What does this look like? False churches that promote works-based salvation—they lead people astray from the true gospel. And hey, you want to get to heaven? Uh, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to go knock on these doors, and you got to have a number of professions of faith at the end, and you got to all these things, and that's how you get to heaven. That's causing some believers that are new in the faith to stumble. That's causing unbelievers to stumble, giving them a false hope of eternity. 
or gospel light churches where they only preach about the love of God and not mention the holiness and wrath of God and to avoid anyone feeling offended or left out. That's a stumbling block. That's a heavy stumbling block because these people don't know. They don't know because they're not, they don't, it's not preached. So how are they going to know what's wrong or right if they only preach about the right and the wrong right not offend anybody? It causes people to stumble. The prosperity gospel where the false idea that God wants you to have the best life now and he wants you to come to Christ and all your problems are going to go away, that's a stumbling block for a lot of people, especially those that are sick and it's God's will for them not to get healed. What are they going to do? Lack of faith? Feel depressed because you didn't have enough faith to get healed? Like they say, you have enough faith, you can move mountains. A lack of the sovereignty of God? That they make those people stumble. Yes, that's a, a way of, of, of having believers stumble. And, uh, and unbelievers stumble as well. And by the way, why do you think God says that it's, it's, it's better for them to hang themselves with a millstone in the deep ocean? And to face the wrath of, wrath of God for doing these things. And each and every one of us and them will pay for causing others to stumble. Even though the context here is for believers, I would encourage you that the way you act could also cause, to see that the way you act could also cause unbelievers to stumble. We are walking representatives of Christ. And if we are walking representatives of Christ, we are also walking representatives of his message. The message of hope. The message that each and every one of us was destined to hell. Each and every one of us decided to disobey God, to put our fists in the air and say, not your way, I'm going to live my way. And you know the price for that? It's called death. It's called eternal death. No one can save themselves. No matter how many good works you outweigh the bad, for God, it doesn't work that way. But the good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine. He lived the perfect life you and me could never live. He died on the cross at the hands of sinners. He rose on the third day, and today he's alive. And he says that whoever makes him Lord, whoever believes in their heart that he raised from the dead, that he's the Son of God, has eternal life, if only you believe in his son. And you repent and you turn away. See, that gospel is what you represent. And the actions that you take and the actions that you walk represent that message. Let's not be a stumbling block to somebody. Oh, why am I going to go to that church if that's the way they act, the way they, 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 they act at school, or, or, or the way they act in the neighborhood, and they're always, you know, swearing and saying bad things and talking about these inappropriate, you know, conversations and seeing these inappropriate things and why should I go to that church? That's, you're causing somebody to stumble. And that's what God does not want. He calls us to be salt and light. He calls us to be his ambassadors. So recap. As believers, we are to accept others. We are to love others as we love Christ and not cause anyone to stumble. Especially not cause believers to stumble. These are some questions that we're going to ask in small groups. Do you love other believers like they are Christ? How do you do this? Think about it. Are you being a stumbling block to others? 
how and what can you change moving forward? Which of the ways mentioned above do you need to work on when it comes to causing others to sin? Can your friends come to you for encouragement, or do they run away from you because of how you make them feel, because of your strong opinions that are not biblical? Here in North Lake Bible Church, guys, and here in this youth group, we've told you since uh, since we've gotten here, and we can and we can attest, I can attest from the leaders in this group that our purpose is to preach Christ and to be unified and to love one another. And I hope that you can see that and you follow our example. That if we don't bicker about issues of conscience within ours, within our leadership, you shouldn't either. And as a church, this never will be a church, and this never will be a youth group where you're like, oh, no, these are, these are the homeschool kids, and these are the public school kids. None of that here. We are all Christians, and we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we all love each other here. And I will not let that, and God will not let that happen. We love each other, and God calls us to love each other and not cause each other sin. Let us pray that we will be that stumbling block. And if we are, let us pray and repent and change. Amen? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for your word. Your word confronts us, God. It, it convicts us, Lord. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you because you forgive us, God. We ask you for forgiveness if we've done this, Lord. When we cause others to sin and stumble, Lord, we're sorry, God. We come before you asking you for forgiveness, Lord. Thank you because your mercies are new each day. Thank you because you died on the cross for us for this very reason, because we are sinners that need you. Sorry, God, and help us, Lord, look at others, our brothers and women in Christ, Help us look at them like you, Father, like it's how we would be treating you, Lord. Help us serve others more. Help us love others more than ourselves. Help us be unified, Lord, within the church. Let our issues of conscience stay issues of conscience, Father. Let it never divide us as a group. Any issue, Father. Let none of that divide us, Lord, that we can always come to you through your word, that we can admonish one another, Father, and confront each other in love, Lord when this happens, Father. That we are more, it's more important for us to be unified in the truth, Lord, than what our own opinions are on certain things, Father. Let us have that Christ-ness of loving others more than ourselves and not being a stumbling block to anyone, believer or unbeliever. Give us the strength to be the salt and light you call us to be because we can't do it on our own. Give us the strength to shine our light at our home with our siblings, with our parents because we can't do it on our own. Help us shine our light in school or wherever we do school at, Father, because we can't do it on our own. We can only do it through you, God, and we ask you that you help us. Thank you, Father. It is in your precious name that we pray. Amen.